We have been working through our series um, called the Heart, the Heart of Christ. Um, it's based on Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, if you haven't grabbed a copy, we have more of those out there. Um, so feel free to grab a copy of those. Or if you've started reading it, really appreciate it. And you're like, I really should pass this on to family. Now is the time. You can also take additional books. Because our church family has had some opportunities um, to uh, grab those. And so if you'd like an additional book or two or five, um, as long as you plan on utilizing those, uh, feel free to take those and give those out to family. Otherwise, they're just going to sit here at the church and they don't get any use just sitting here in a box. So feel free to do that today if you'd like to. Uh, the main passage he focuses on in the book uh, comes from Matthew chapter 11. It's Jesus talking. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Doesn't rest sound good? Cindy was talking this morning. She's She's on spring break right now, and she's like, I just don't think my brain is ready to go today. She's, 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 her brain is in a resting mode. Thank you for that. You're welcome. But it's good, because your brain needs that. We need times of rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus describes his heart here as gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. This series is focused on how Christ responds to sinners and sufferers. What is Christ's heart for sinners and sufferers? But it, it's not just sinners and sufferers. It's those who have chosen to come to him. It's not everybody in the world. Yes, if you come to Jesus, you will, he will respond to you in this way. But the Bible also talks about, and I think Dane kind of covers this in his book, that Jesus also is seen as coming in judgment in the end times as well. But to those who come to him, his heart is gentle and lowly. This morning, we're talking about a welcoming heart, Jesus having a welcoming heart. And as a student, I remember I was probably 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range. Uh, we had a youth group that was a fairly good size. It was 30 or 40 students. And I was a homeschooled kid. I, I didn't, wasn't involved in, in, you know, the school that we were, the church was around, and so I didn't always fit in. And I remember as a student, you walk into the room and they had chairs set up, where am I going to sit? And, and I, you know, I had like some select friends and maybe they weren't there that day, and it's like, okay, do I just look for an open spot that doesn't have anybody sitting around to go sit by myself? There was a, a girl in our youth group, and she always looked for people. She always made them feel welcome. 
And I remember a few times I would walk in and just kind of stand there looking like, who do I go sit by? And I must just look like the awkward homeschool kid at that point, you know. And she'd go, come here, come here, we'll make a seat right here. And sometimes, you know, like her row, they would just keep adding seats on the end of it. they just keep moving them. So we'd have like no seats and we'd have one really long row. Because she was welcoming. and She made you feel welcoming. Some of you have probably met people like that or had those people in your life. That was when I was 13 or 14. I can tell you that there's moments I still have some of that as an adult. We just learn to fake it better. We still walk into new situations, new rooms, and we go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know how I'm supposed to act here, so I'm just going to try to act like whatever like we still do that as adults but don't you love it when somebody says oh come here I want to introduce you to so and so and I want to do this and I know I've been to many funerals for those of you in our church that have been involved in uh, had loved ones die and when when you see me and you walk over let me introduce you to my family let me do this it's like oh I feel so welcome because it's just like just bring me right in and so you have those people in your life who are just so welcoming so how does jesus respond to us where is um, the heart of christ for those he loves does jesus come in judgment condemnation shame and wrath or does he respond in compassion kindness love and gentleness I think we'll see today that Jesus' heart welcomes us. I'm I'm veering off the book a little bit today because I'm covering chapters 5, 6, and 7 if you're reading along in your books at home, um, or if you're, I don't see anybody reading along this morning, Um, but if you're kind of following along, that's kind of where we're at, but as I was reading those books, I thought I could take one passage and kind of just get all of it in one time when Jesus was responding uh, to one of his disciples. At the end of the book of John, uh, Jesus' time on earth has almost ascended. He's already uh, been crucified, buried. He's come back. He's been appearing to his disciples, but he has this moment. His disciples are out fishing on a boat, and he has this moment where he's on the shore, and he ends up telling them to, to go out and fish, and they get a ton of fish, and they bring them all into land, and, and they realize it's Jesus on the shore. He already has a fire set up and some fish there. It's found in John chapter 21. Jesus is encouraging his disciples. One of them is Peter. Peter, I I love Peter, reading about Peter's life in the New Testament. Peter was always the outspoken one. As we read through the biblical text, we see Peter being the one to always jump in with the answer. I don't know if all the other disciples looked at him to be that person or what. He was always involved in Jesus' inner circle. So he was involved in special conversations Peter, James, and John, those three were Jesus' inner circle. They were involved in inner conversations that some of the other disciples didn't get. There were times when Jesus was going to do healing, and he only took Peter, James, and John with him. So they had some special life experiences. 
Peter, of course, is the one who proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Jesus, or Peter made that proclamation, you are the Son of God. Peter's also the only other one we know of that walked on water for a little bit because he said, if that's you, Jesus, let me come to you. And he just gets out of the boat and he starts going and then he looks around and he just starts sinking. But he took a few steps, right? Peter had some low moments. In that same conversation where Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, that's in Matthew 16. Just a couple verses later, Peter, Jesus tells them that he's going to have to go and die. And Peter's like, no, you're not going to have to die. And Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He rebukes him. So it's like he has this ultimate high point, a couple verses later, ultimate low point. But I'd have to say Peter's lowest point comes right after Jesus is arrested. If you remember the Passover meal, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and at one point he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And that night Jesus was arrested and it says that Peter followed the crowd and the first person saw Peter and said, well, you must be with him, that man. No, I'm not with him. The second person, I've, I think I've seen you. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I am not with him. Finally, the third person comes and says, I'm sure I've seen you with the other ones that are always around Jesus. You must know him. He says, I do not know that man. And then the Bible says the rooster crowed. Peter's response to that, the Bible tells us that he went out and wept bitterly. He was so sorrowful because he had just denied knowing Jesus. I said that this event in John chapter 21 comes after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I don't know if Jesus and Peter had conversations before this and resolved some of it, but this is where I see Jesus and Peter kind of building their relationship back up. I think the events of Peter denying Jesus, I think it, it kind of hovered over Peter's life for a couple of weeks. Jesus, obviously, he, from his resurrection to his ascension was 40 days. So it was sometime in that period that Jesus and Peter have this conversation. I, I think to a degree it could have been the elephant that was in the room. Maybe Peter didn't know if Jesus would bring up this situation, if Jesus had already forgiven him, 
Jesus knew what had happened. Jesus knew that he'd denied him three times. So how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus' heart welcome us? We're in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, again, Jesus, back in verse 9, they got, out, of land, they got out, of, out on land and they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and on it and bread. So Jesus was providing a meal for them back in verse 9 of chapter 21. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the question is, what is the these there? That's a lot of the, the, the. The question is, what is the these there? Is the these the fish? Because Peter was a fisherman. Do you love me more than your previous job? I don't know. Was the these the other disciples? Because at times Peter had declared, I will go to death for you. I will love you more than all the other ones. So what is the these there? We don't know exactly, but he says, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, this is Jesus, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There's some intricate little pieces in this that we don't necessarily get in the English text. The word love has different Greek words in love. And so we've talked about agape love, that self-sacrificial love, the way that God has loved us by sending his son to die on a cross, the way that Jesus loved us by um, obeying his heavenly father's will and dying on that cross. The Bible says that Jesus obeyed to the point of death, that kind of self-sacrificial love, that is agape love. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? The first time. Do you self-sacrificially love me? And Peter said, I phileo love you. Now phileo love is like brother and sisterly family love. It's not that self-sacrificial, I'm going to go to death for you love. It's the I love you as family. Peter said, I phileo love you. Jesus asked him a second time. Peter, do you self-sacrificially love me? Peter says, I love you like family. Finally, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo love me? Peter says, you know, that's what I've been saying, Jesus. You know I phileo love you. 
Now, there's question theologians go back and forth. What does this all mean? Because there's these two different words used. Theologians love to get down in the nitty-gritty of the, the words. And I read through it, and I think Jesus was just asking him, how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to go to that self-sacrificial love? And I think Peter was like, I don't know if I can get there. I don't think I can do this on my own, Lord. You've already seen me fail. I already denied you three times. I don't know if I can get to the self-sacrificial agape love. And then I think Jesus gives him a clue at the end. He says, you used to dress yourself and walk. And it gives us a little context in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. He's going to agape love. That love is already there. He just doesn't feel like it's there. He does already have that kind of love. The second thing I wanted to kind of point out this morning uh, is this. Oh, I skipped my whole first point. I should probably give you guys that. Jesus' welcoming heart offers forgiveness. That's where we're at. We're talking about Jesus' forgiveness to Peter. I should probably follow along in my notes a little better sometimes. <laughs> Jesus' welcoming heart offers forgiveness. There's a second part that Jesus gives to us here. And he, he uses a little different terminology. First, he says, feed my lambs. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. What are lambs? They're just young sheep, right? What are they? They're the vulnerable. They're the ones that you have to watch out for the closest. They're the youngest. They're the ones who need special care, special, you know, if you have a bottle of milk, you have to give them the bottle of milk to help them. Feed my lambs. Watch out for the young ones. Then he says, tend my sheep. What is it to tend the sheep? Shepherds had to watch over their flock. I don't know if you've ever been with a group going somewhere. I found myself as I was leading our, our youth group back in Michigan, we would go places and there'd be a large group. And as one of the leaders, I always wanted to make sure we didn't leave anybody behind. And so we'd all get back in the van and what would I do? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, there's 15 of us here. That's how many there's supposed to be. Or there's 14 of us here. Who is missing? Who didn't make it on the bus? Let's wait here till they get, must be in the bathroom or something. We got to wait. You find yourself counting, right? I have to imagine that shepherds did that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 99. Where's 100? I hope I counted right. Need to count again. Tending the sheep. It's caring about the sheep. The shepherds would look over the sheep as they came into the fold at night, making sure they hadn't gotten injured or didn't have any pests on them. They would, they would rub stuff around their mouth and nose to keep the flies away. They did special things for the sheep. They cared for the sheep. Beyond just caring for the sheep, they were to feed the sheep. I think this is a different category. Shepherds would guide their sheep to streams of peaceful water. As I've read things about sheep, sheep do not like moving streams. They get in the moving streams and they tip over. 
So they'd lead them to peaceful water. And if there wasn't peaceful water, they'd take the crook of their staff and they'd etch out a piece where the water would flow into where the sheep could go and get a nice drink without having to worry about the raging waters. Beyond that, they would take them to green pastures, pastures without plants that were poisonous. Pastures that they would watch out for dangerous animals that would come in and take the flock. And so I think Jesus is telling Peter, you need to watch out for the young ones. You need to take care of the rest of the flock and you need to make sure they're getting fed. Jesus as the over-shepherd, I think, is reinstating Peter as the under-shepherd. I think Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. I think this is reminiscent of what had happened I think Peter had a question in his heart of, did I lose everything because I denied Jesus? Have I lost everything? Is Jesus still counting on me? Back in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is first calling Peter and his brother Andrew, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What were they out doing here again? They were fishing when Jesus comes to them. They'd just eaten a breakfast of fish and bread. And then what does Jesus say at the very end? He says, follow me. I think Jesus is just reinstating Peter here. Why did Peter have to say he loved Jesus, though? Why did he have to do it three times? I don't think it was for Jesus. Jesus knew he loved him. I don't think it was for the other disciples. I think it was for Peter. I think Peter needed to say it. I think Peter needed to hear him say, Yes, Lord, I love you. Of course I love you. You know that I love you. I think the denial of Jesus was hanging over his head, and I think he just needed to hear himself say, yes, I do love you. Ortland comments on this verse from John chapter 6. It's right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and, and many come and want more miracles. Jesus goes to the other side uh, of the Sea of Galilee and many want more miracles. And so they come seeking miracles and Jesus makes this point. Not that one though. I'm just off on my notes today. This is the promise that Jesus made to Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus made that promise to Peter and he reinstated Peter as that rock. This passage, John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I just fed 5,000. Remember with the loaves and the fishes? I am the bread of life. You're coming looking for more signs, more miracles. But here I am. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I will never cast out. They come in faith and belief. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst, he says. Dane Ortland makes this comment. Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We look for reasons. Oh man, I was this way yesterday. Jesus must not like me today. Oh man, I stole that bubble gum. Jesus isn't going to like me because I stole the bubble gum. Oh man, I told a lie. We look for reasons for Jesus. We are factories of fresh resistance to Christ's love, he says. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such, a speci such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that, given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. I have so much in my past. Jesus will never accept me. Jesus will never keep me. But what does Jesus say? Those who come to me will never be cast out. He goes on to say this. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurance of his presence and comfort. Whatever your present spiritual accomplishments, whatever are your present spiritual accomplishments, doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus says, if you come, I will never cast you out. Reminded me of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is he? He's faithful. If you come to me, I will never cast you out. Jesus was forgiving Peter. He welcomes us to come to him and receive his forgiveness. Secondly, how does Jesus' heart welcome us? Secondly, Jesus' welcoming heart deals gently. His welcoming heart deals gently. I think the words Jesus spoke to Peter were exactly what he needed to bolster his faith, to restore him to the place that Jesus had already given him. There was a woman in the Gospels that is brought to Jesus who, they say this woman committed adultery. What should we do to her? And, and their words hung in the air. They said, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say, Jesus? There's all these religious leaders surrounding Jesus and this woman who's sitting in the dirt. Says that Jesus got, got down and began to write in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. Again, people can guess, but that doesn't really do it justice. He began to write. Finally, Jesus said th these words a couple verses later. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says that the religious leaders began to leave, starting with the oldest ones first. I don't know if they brought stones with them, but I can see them just setting their stones down and walking away. Finally, Jesus stands up. He'd been writing in the dirt again. It says he stands up and says this. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Just go and don't do it anymore. Who was the one person there who could have said, all right, well, Moses says this, I'm here without sin, I'm going to be the one to do this. He was the only one there who had the authority, the ability, but what did he do? He was gentle. He could have condemned her. He could have judged her. He is the one who could have been the judge, jury, and the executioner, but he did not choose to do that. He said, neither do I condemn you. Can you imagine the freedom that she felt lifted off of her? Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. We serve a Savior who deals gently with those who come to Him feeling beaten up and and condemned by the world. In the book of Hebrews, the author says this, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since He Himself is beset with weakness. He can deal gently. Finally, how does Jesus' heart welcome us? Jesus' welcoming heart confronts our sin. I think in the story we just saw, he confronted her sin. He said, from now on, sin no more. Beyond that, I think Jesus confronts Peter here. He doesn't just leave it out there and hanging forever. Peter had denied knowing Christ, and so he had sinned against him. Jesus comes to him and initiates this conversation. Who is the one who had been sinned against and who is the one who had done the sinning? Peter had done the sinning. Shouldn't he have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you forgive me? Jesus, do you forgive me? Jesus, do you forgive me? Shouldn't he have asked it three times? But who's the one coming back to Peter? Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus deals with his sins, and Ortland makes this comment, just as the purer a heart, the more horrified at evil. So talking about those who are, uh, with Jesus, he can be horrified at evil because his heart is absolutely pure. So also the purer a heart, the more it is naturally drawn out to help and relieve and protect and comfort, whereas a corrupt heart sits still and is indifferent. So the point Ortland is making here is that Jesus' pure heart draws him all the more into our needs of sinning and suffering. He is there welcoming us, as 1 John pointed out, 
that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess them to him. How does this translate to God's perspective on sin and what he will do with those he loves? Go back to the book of Hosea, and we don't have time to go into all the context of Hosea. But Hosea is a prophet who God tells him to go marry a prostitute as his example of what the nation of Israel is doing to him. And he, he gives Hosea messages to take back and forth to be an example to the people. And he says this in Hosea 11, it's going to be verses 7, 8, and 9. My people are bent on turning away from me. You remember Hosea's wife Gomer was a prostitute and she continually went back to her old life. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma, the enemies of God? How can I treat you like Zeboim, the enemies of God? My heart recoils within me. This is God talking here. My compassion grows warmer and tender. What are they doing? The people are bent on turning away from him. But what is God's heart? His heart is recoiling within him. His compassion is growing warm and tender towards them. I will not execute my burning anger, God says. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. God tells Hosea, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. But at the same time, I don't think this negates God's discipline. Because God comes to his children in discipline. We know this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So there are times when God is going to discipline his children. He, his heart does confront our sin, but it's always in a loving manner. It's always in a loving way. Once a believer comes to Christ, once a believer is welcomed by Christ, they're given this promise. It's in Romans chapter 8. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us? Then Paul gives a list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then he writes, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Jesus said, I will in no way cast out. I will not cast out. Paul says, what can separate us? He gives a whole list there. Not death, not life, 
not angels, not rulers, not things that are around us, the present, not things to come, not powers, not height, not depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. We're given that promise that Christ welcomes us. Conclusion this morning, the heart of Christ gently confronts and forgives believers and welcomes them with open arms. Jesus has a welcoming heart to those who have come to him. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, I thank you that you are gentle in your heart. God, I thank you that you are welcoming in your heart. God, I thank you that you don't leave us in our sinfulness, that you confront our sin. I thank you for Peter and his example that we read about today. God, the way you restored him. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your self-sacrificing love poured out on the cross. And we thank you for that gift that was more than we could ever imagine your mercy being offered to us for our salvation from all of our sins. God, I thank you for your heart that welcomes us in the midst of all of our struggles and our troubles and our persecutions, even in times if we step away from the faith for a period, if we have truly believed and we come to you, you will give us rest. You will quiet our hectic souls. God, we just pray that you would continue to reassure us as we tend to look at the things we've done and try to respond in a humanly manner that you're just out there looking for vengeance or justice, but that's not the way you are. Your heart is seeking to show compassion. You're seeking to show love, even if you discipline, it's out of love. God, I thank you for your wonderful heart. We pray this in Jesus' name.